As we prepare to hear God's word, let us first pause and ask God to open our hearts and minds with prayer for illumination. Lord our God, you are the light of the world in whom there is no darkness. And I'm mindful of the psalmist, the poet who sang in a song, Psalm 119, that you are a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Even when the darkness surrounds us, even when we are clouded in our minds. And so I pray that as we sit and listen to your word, you would be a light to illumine our thoughts, to bring brightness to our hearts and light the journey ahead. Come, Holy Spirit, for we are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning's scripture is taken from Mark 6, verses 6 through 13. And thanks to Tom for helping me to understand all this. (laughs) Then he went out among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you when they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. May God bless this reading of his holy word. Amen. So in January of 2013, I went to India, which was an incredible experience. And I went with a group of seminary students, and this was a moment in my seminary education called cultural immersion, where we were able to see the church across the world. And so I went with a group of seminary students led by a guy named J.P. Sundararajan, who Uh, Grew up in India, was educated at one of the reformed colleges called Northwestern in Orange City, Iowa, and then later went to seminary, where I went to, Western Theological Seminary in Holland. We flew to India and visited different parts of the country to see how Christianity existed, and one of the very particular poignant experiences that I had was going to a leper colony in India, where we saw the work of JP's family who would inscribe the word of God into uh, digital recorders and hand them to people in their own native tongue. And this was a very impactful experience for those who were outcast from their communities and homes and families. And this morning, what I would like to do is share a video with you because Since I've been out here in the last five years, JP has ascended from just being a mission partner with the RCA to being the director of global missions for the Reformed Church in America, the RCA, which is the denomination we are a part of. And one of the most celebratory things about the RCA is the global missions and ministry that has happened for 
for a long, long time all over the world. And he gave this keynote address at the Global Missions Forum for the Reformed Church of America, and he says things that I could not myself say in the manner in which he does. So I have condensed this down and want to show this to you. It's about uh, 25 minutes, and I get that sometimes it's, why do we come to church if we're just gonna listen to you know, something on the screen? But again, he says something that's incredibly important by somebody who's a leader in our denomination that we are a part of. And what I want you to have in mind as you're watching this is the way in which you might take in how Christianity is moving according to the Spirit's work all across the world. And it's important when we're reminded of this work that's moved all across the world in good places and in good ways that we have a responsibility to do the ministry and the mission of Jesus here in our own particular lives. And I think when we hear about these things, that helps to reinforce that concept, that we are to do our part in what we can, day by day, here where we live, and celebrate the work that's done all across the world by the Holy Spirit. So, let us listen. We welcome you. Thank you for what you do, your service to the kingdom, and I'm incredibly, incredibly honored uh, to serve with you and for uh, the kingdom with you. So thank you. Um, as Lindsay and Denise mentioned, my name is J.B. Sundararajan, and now I'm not sure I'm pronouncing my name correctly. Um, I, ser I serve as director of global mission for the Reformed Church in America. But my story really begins in India, um, in the city of Bangalore, or Bengaluru as it's called these days, where I was raised by my loving parents with my brother James. And upon my completion of high school in India, God brought me over uh, to introduce me fully to the Reformed Church in America when I enrolled as a student at Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Are there Northwestern people here? <laughs> I was an amazing, amazing four years there where I learned so much, and as you heard yesterday, I learned what American squirrels look like, and I discovered Iowa winters, which can be a little brutal. Um, but upon my completion of studies in Northwestern, my path took me to West Michigan, where I became a Master of Divinity student at Western Theological Seminary. Western people, where are you? <laughs> It's also here in my Hebrew study, uh, my Hebrew study partner was the lovely Katie Wing, who would go on to become my wife. And, and uh, Katie and I celebrated 15 years of being married together last month, and we have two beautiful kids, Layla and Reuben. Now, being the child of parents who were first-generation Christians, uh, my family in India was, uh, was the outcast family. We were a family that was pushed aside and ostracized. And in this home, my brother James and I were told the story of my parents. And as the story washed over us over and over again, uh, certain truths began to emerge uh, that became very formative in how we understood God and God's work. Um, first, that there's a cost involved in following Jesus. And it's a tremendous cost. My parents lost everything when they decided to take this path of where God was calling them to go. And the second lesson is God's repeated insistence on using ordinary people to do extraordinary things in this world. And as I've entered into this role with RCA Global Mission, these two truths have only gotten to be more real. So this morning, I kind of want to take you 
to the book we love. I want to take you to the very first part of the book we love, to the very first chapter, to the very first verse in Scripture. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, God. God's Spirit, it's been hovering over the deep. It was there before the creation of the heavens and the earth. God's Spirit was there before we got here. And you can rest assured that God's Spirit will be here long after we leave. And yet, we are invited to be a part of God's process. We're given a role to play. In fact, we're kind of invited to shape the clay that's on the wheel. And God's been moving throughout eternity, bringing people into the kingdom, going so far as sending Jesus the Son to take our place on the cross. And this atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ is incredibly good news for a broken world. And we, the ordinary broken jars of clay, I get it, we're called to bring this very gospel to the ends of the earth. For thousands of years, God has wooed people to come closer, and God's word, through the ministry of God's people, has been actively at work in this world, sowing itself into the soil of the earth for more than 1,500 years after Jesus' ascension into glory. And then somehow, almost inexplicably even, this God thought it good to invite a little Dutch Reformed church into this process. And I'm going to modify a rather well-known saying in mission circles that God's church doesn't have a mission but God's mission has a church. And I want to say that God's mission, more specifically, has the Reformed Church in America. Because this tiny band of Dutch believers, they really had no business being a part of the early mission-sending endeavors in North American history. Are you kidding me? This was an oppressed minority. They were fleeing persecution of their own, and yet God invited this little band of ragtag believers to show Jesus to the world in our own unique way. We were invited to be a part of changing the world for the sake of the gospel, and boy, do we go hard at it.
In June of 1910, 1,200 representatives from 160 Protestant mission societies from around the world gathered in Edinburgh, Scotland. This is one of the largest gatherings of all the varying branches of Protestantism, gathered to embrace a common cause. This was the high point of Christian optimism for evangelizing the world. I mean, they were excited. They gathered with a single-minded focus that the future of Christianity it was not European, it was worldwide. There was so much hype around this conference that the Archbishop of Canterbury dubbed the 1910 Edinburgh Conference as unparalleled in Christian history. That is a very bold statement to make. And I've often been perplexed and a bit impressed by the confidence of those who gathered here in 1910 with the hope to evangelize the world by the end of the 20th century. I guess you can't really blame them, right, for their bravado, for their moxie, for dreaming these big dreams that legends are made out of. But it's their inability, right, to predict the two world wars that were just lurking around the corner, the Great Depression that would decimate the United States and its partners, the Cold War and its repercussions, the fiasco of Vietnam. All of this is almost borderline comical if it weren't for God working through our incompetencies as human beings. And despite our limited vision today, we're called, we're invited to dream bold dreams. A bold vision needs to be cast, and who knows how this vision will unfold in the next 50 years. These words still haunt the deep recesses of my mind when I pause to think of them. Every morning when I brush my teeth and every evening after the family is done with their meals, I do the dishes, these images come flooding back into my head as I hurriedly turn off the faucet that I've left on running absentmindedly. My family for the past 40 years has been involved in this beautiful ministry of providing scripture for people who otherwise would have no access to it. So they provide the scripture and audio uh, for people with visual impairments and people who are non-literate. And as the ministry evolved over the last 40 years, it began to see itself serving more and more on the front lines with the least of these. So it's therefore not entirely surprising when this past year in Tokampati, uh, a village where uh, people who are affected with leprosy are quarantined to, a community that we had been serving with for a few years, a cry came up, quietly, a humble whisper, really, when we asked this community, what else could we do to be of help? They simply said, Tanila, there is no water. So as we began to look into this issue, heartbreaking details began to emerge. Like, there was a well nearby, but they didn't have access to it because it belonged to a nearby community who said that unclean lepers weren't welcome there. So the only access they had to water was when they purchased it from the city on these city trucks, but this was tricky for a couple of reasons. For one, these trucks are expensive, especially for people whose primary occupation um, is begging. And second, and this is the more heart-wrenching reality, is for people who suffer from leprosy, as many of them do, they are missing their fingers. So the simple act of filling water from a water truck into these little plastic jugs that they have is a Herculean, if not impossible, task. And so they take these little water jugs to that truck that is shooting water, and they try to capture as much of it as they can in this little bucket. 
and they bring it home sloshing. And they use that water, but no water is wasted. You save every precious drop. And we discovered that our brothers and sisters were reusing the same water in their homes between five and six times. By the end of the day, all you're left with is this deep, dark, putrid, viscous fluid that was your water in the morning. Now, thanks to the RCA Global Missions Care Network Fund, uh, Scott Engelsman, our supervisor who oversees this fund, began to work with the ministry in seeing how we can meet this need. A hydrologist who was consulted in India said, you can get water at 700 feet. And so arrangements were made, funds were transferred, and the morning of July 30, 2019, the social media page of the Ministry of Buzz Live updates began to take over the bottomless feeds of Instagram and Facebook. Joy and expectation set the stage for the day. Photos of people gathering joyfully around the truck that carried the Borwell equipment set the tone. Women in resplendent saris shed their sad stories because today, today was going to be different. Today was going to be spectacular. And as the machines just whirred and shuddered, as the earth was pierced, Every foot deeper the machine dug, the anticipation rose. A hundred feet, two hundred feet, four hundred feet. Dirt spilling out of the crevice, the glitter of hope was everywhere. At six hundred feet, anxiety begins to wrinkle their weather-worn faces. No water. Seven hundred feet. No water. Now the worry is real. At eight hundred feet, though, some hope begin to, begins to creep in because the soil that was being churned out was wet with the promise of water. Within a few feet, that wet soil was replaced by a puff of dust. 1,000 feet. At 1,200 feet, it meant the deepest point this Borwell company had ever gone to before and could go on this fateful day. 1,200 feet, no water, just a puff of dust. The last enduring image I have etched into my head is a group of my beautiful brothers and sisters standing beside the truck praying, missing limbs and fingers intertwined as they folded their palms together in the eponymous namaste pose, their faces willing, willing God to work a miracle, tears flowing freely as the sun set slowly. We were all wrecked by the story. This is not how the story is supposed to end. We tried, and we trust God's plan. We may never know nor understand why this took place. This was the final post on the ministry's Instagram page that day. It was the same ominous puff of dust that a seminary student named Samuel Zwamer experienced when after being inspired by his Old Testament professor, John Lansing, at New Brunswick Theological Seminary, of the need for missionaries in the Middle East, he was told, along with his fellow brothers and co-workers, Canteen and Phelps, that their dream of bringing the gospel to the Middle East was not going to work for the Board of Foreign Missions. Imagine that. You hear of this need. You're so moved. You feel called. You know you have the gifts to meet this need. And you meet with the one group of people who can pave this path for you and you get a door slammed in your face. Poof. It's a puff of dust that Dr. John and Harriet Scudder experienced when after hearing God's call 
for a pious physician in the land of India. My land. Oops, sorry. Sorry, guys. They set sail in 1819, having sold everything they had and saying goodbye to everybody they knew, they took their baby girl and set sail for Calcutta. And on the way, they lost their baby girl. Or the Swart family, who faithfully committed generations to mission work only to have their dear son Jack tragically killed in an automotive accident. Or Dr. Maurice Husinkveld, who was tragically assassinated while doing his job in the Middle East. This is a small sample of our tale, because every great RCA global mission story, it involves stories of pain and tragedy and great suffering. It was the swirl of dry dust that ravished the Board of Foreign Missions, the predecessors to RCA Global Mission when first the Civil War raged in these parts and funding for our missionaries had to be cut. This puff of dust swirled again when the World Wars broke out, sandwiching the Great Depression. Puffs of dust. When countries gained their independence and sent their missionaries back home, dust swirled around us. The Cold War, the Great Recession, the rise of capitalism, and the other major religions of the world, the scandals that rocked the church, the decline of the North American church, the wave of nationalism that continued to sweep the nations, it's dust everywhere. Why is Global Mission doing this, JP? Why now? I'm wary of events like this. What's going to happen to our missionaries? Instead of doing Mission 2020, why can't you send some kids to schools in India? I know you have a great and rich history with RCA Global Mission, but this is a different RCA now. Don't you get it? And yet, into this dust, we're called to stand. Because as my family left Tokampati that day, we knew in our hearts that this story was not done, not with the God we serve. We're simply asked to stand and let the dust coat our every pore. My brother and I had a conversation, and something profound and deep emerged from our disappointment. Because all we wanted to do, I mean, all we wanted to do was provide water to these beautiful people, a cup of cold water, a straight-up cliché from the Gospels. And yet that hopeful expectation would only continue to perpetuate the story of the rich coming to help those who had nothing. And providing water would have been amazing, but the greater story I truly believe happened that day when we stood with people who had no hope and watched with them when disappointment swept over them one more time. This was their life. This is how it's always been, one disappointment after the other. And what we felt on that fateful day, July 30, 2019, was a taste of what every day was like for our, for our brothers and sisters. We stood with them in their moment of pain. We felt the crushing cloud of disappointment envelop us like that dust cloud that hovered over the pit of useless hope. And we could do nothing but stand shoulder to shoulder with the least of these and squint. And standing with the least of these is what the RCA has done in its ministries around the world. We've seen this in Japan, in India, in Chiapas, in Oman, in China, in Sudan, and we continue to see that happening today in Nicaragua, in South Africa, in Kenya, in the Philippines, in Romania, in Nepal, in Niger, in almost 50 countries around the world. So today, my friends, 
I want to invite you to squint your eyes. Let the shrapnel of rocks ravage your skin and stand. Stand when that checklist grows. Stand when the ground you work yields nothing but thorns and thistles. Stand with those who need you to stand with them. Stand with them in the swirling cloud, this dust cloud of hope and expectancy and disappointment too. And slowly but surely you will see our legendary names like Chamberlain, Swart, Ford, Sturk, Abiel, Van Engen, Zwamer, and Scudder inviting us to make room for Sayuri, and Rawi, and Muntolo, and Al-Sadir, and Jang, and Yakuv, Isaias, Eichel, and I don't know how to say that name, and Sultan Bunga. Standing next to each other as God begins to reincarnate once again who we are at RCA Global Mission. Because could it be, could it be that from that puff of dust that God can create new life like in the creation story? Because the dirt of the earth can be transformed if we stand witness to God's ruach, God's breath breathing life into it. As God breathes anew into us, the foreseen and unforeseen dangers that lurk, maybe, just maybe, God can birth a new creation from this valley of dry bones. Because despite the unknown devastation that human beings would bring upon themselves through war and economic bondage, God invited the church to dream a bold dream in 1910. And according to renowned missiologist Dana Roberts, she writes, by the dawn of the 21st century, Christianity existed in every country that allowed a modicum of religious freedom. Nearly one in three persons was a Christian. Christianity was more culturally diverse than at any time in its history. A century after Edinburgh 1910, Christianity had become a world religion. We're ordinary people called to do extraordinary things. But this play is not finished, and God is not inviting us to sit in the audience, but be active participants in this play that God is directing. And that is what brings you here this week. In your sessions here, in the workshops, and the conversations that you will have, can you help us stand in that gap? To squint with us into that swirling dust and watch God breathe new life into it? And perhaps, maybe, just maybe, from all this, God can bring forth water that springs up to eternal life. Because there's one thing that brings us all together. There's one thing that unites us. May it be God's mission to this world. May it be global mission. You see, mission has always involved the actual physical transfer of people and families and both the conscious and unconscious transfer of our cultural mores. And through all the hiccups, mistakes, and successes, we have woven a web that now serves as a highway from which we can transmit but also receive the gospel in a fresh new way. The translation of the gospel of the various communities of the world, the various cultures of the world, have, it's helped shape many beautiful new expressions. But not only that, it has helped us reframe how we interpret Scripture, how we view Jesus as Lord and Savior. And now it's coming back to the shores of a post-Christian West in fresh, vibrant ways, claiming us all back again for the kingdom. This is good news. In the beginning, God. We got a phone call recently from our family in Tokampati. They simply said, we think there might be water in the well because the monsoons had just ravaged the plains of South India. 
but we're not going to open it till you come back. And so we went back. And yes, from a hole that spewed up dust, God brought forth water. Stand with us, squint into this buff of dust, and from it watch our God breathe new life into this valley of dry bones, 377 years and counting. So let us together, friends, let's celebrate our past, and together let us imagine God's future for us. To God alone be all the glory, now and forever. Thank you. I felt as your pastor that in video was important for me to share with you because of the faces that we saw in the myriad of pictures that scrolled through the video. Faces of people from all over this world through whom God is moving and doing great things. Felt it important to you, for you to know what our tradition is doing currently and maybe that provides you hope. But I think the thing that I wanted you to know most importantly is that maybe beyond anything else, Christianity is knowledge, yes, that, that God is with us in the cross, in the pain, in the deepest parts of despair, but maybe being a Christian is also being willing to be with someone and be a presence of Christ in those moments of dust and despair and despondency. Pointing someone to the fact that God can still move and God's spirit is still alive, even in those dark, dusty times. <laughs>